Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crucial Talks podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sadam. Thanks again for joining us on the journey to understand behavior and what drives people. Today's episode continues us along that journey. Today, we get to focus on social media and communication. So it's my pleasure to introduce a guest that was called the Communicator's Communicator and was named one of the 100 people who are changing America by Rolling Stone magazine. He is an MIT-trained physicist and has written a book called How to Go Viral and Reach Millions. Today's guest is Joseph Rom. Thanks for joining us, Joseph. I know everyone listening is really interested, as am I, in what they can learn from an MIT-trained physicist. So can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, Mike. I, uh, uh, so my parents were writers, um, but, and I saw that writing didn't pay very well. So that was one of the reasons <laughs> I became a physicist. My uncle was a physicist, and he was a great inspiration to me. Um, so I... I became an MIT trained. Uh, I went to MIT and got a PhD in physics uh, from MIT, uh, and then I wanted to do some public service because that was, you know, sort of how I was raised. My father was a newspaper editor, and so I ended up going to uh, getting a congressional science fellowship, work a year on Capitol Hill, and uh, from that point on. I was really trying to figure out how to marry my uh, interest in in writing with and public service with my expertise in physics, and I ended up doing uh, work in the clean energy arena. And I ended up being at the U.S. Department of Energy for several years, and ultimately ran the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. And I then I was doing clean energy consulting for many years with companies like Nike and IBM and Johnson and Johnson. And then my brother lost his home in Hurricane Katrina, and he asked me if he should rebuild his home because he knew that I'd studied at MIT. I also had studied at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. Um, so I started talking to climate scientists and reading the literature, and and that's when I just realized that you know. Scientists were not doing a very good job of communicating. Uh, um, and so I just started writing and, and ultimate and I founded a blog uh, on climate change, which which ultimately uh, over a few years went went viral. And I've been blogging online ever since for 12 years. And I didn't start out, you know, uh, you know, knowing how to make things go viral. But the nice thing about writing online is you get instant feedback. How many, you know, what what posts uh, get uh, page views, how much time people spend reading the post, how many get a like on Facebook, how many get shared on Facebook, uh, how many get uh, tweeted and retweeted. And over time, you get more and more feedback. You learn more what works and, and what doesn't work. So I really got a very good understanding. And last year, my, my you know, uh, best post, had 500,000 page views, um, which means that millions of people saw the headline. So I just wanted to share some of what I've learned um, about how to go viral uh, and reach millions of people online. And there's a lot of tricks, uh, simple stuff, uh, mostly. Um, and uh, and so that's, you know, and that's why I wrote the book. And I'm just excited to talk to you. Well, that's awesome. So I, I love this because now we have we have a Ph.D. on a scientist 
that is used to data and analysis and all that, but also understands people. And that's one of the things we talk about all the time is, hey, people aren't data driven and they're not rational and they're not they don't reason. And it doesn't matter what the math says, if the feeling says something else. So I think it's just it's awesome that we have you here on the podcast. So let's just start with this. You thought you you started talking about how you learned about the way things online go viral. And obviously that means people are interested in what you're saying or they're interested in the headline or there is something drawing that person, that social animal to, to look at that story or to look at that, that article. So can you tell us the five rules you figured out for going viral online? Sure. And you mentioned the word story. So that is number one. You know, you have to tell a compelling story. Um, one thing I learned, though, which we'll come back to, is that there is a, a simple formula um, for telling a viral story called the and but therefore method, and come back to that. The second element of storytelling you have to use is, is the figures of speech, because the figures of speech, these were the memory tricks that the great bards like Homer and the people who passed down the great oral tradition stories of the Bible used so they could remember their two-hour-long epic poems and stories when they would go from town to town. And those stories, the ones that endured, those were the one, first things that went viral. But people used tricks like metaphors and irony and alliteration uh, and rhyme in order to remember those stories and help people remember them themselves. So. Um, you know, nothing like using a good metaphor. And of course, all your favorite ads uh, use a lot of repetition, use a lot of metaphors. Um, and three and four are very related. One is to trigger one of the three activating emotions that trigger content sharing. Obviously, the things um, that really mean the most to us uh, trigger some emotion. Um, and related to that is to be memorable. Because one of the goals online is you have to grab people's attention, but then you have to keep it. And in the online parlance, that's being clicky and sticky. And so you have to be memorable. And, you know, one of the things that we've learned in, in with brain science and neuroscience and social science is that the things that are most memorable are the things that touch our emotions and that our brain has been wired to tell stories and to remember stories. And then finally, I talk about message testing because that's the big change in communications in the last few years. Um, the ability to test your messages incredibly cheaply uh, to find out which ones work and which ones don't. Because ultimately, you know, the learning curve comes from the rapid feedback and the quantitative feedback as to what is working and what isn't working. Okay, so uh, let me just – so those are the the five, right? Let me just recap them real yeah. quick. Make sure I get them right because uh, I'm going to use this stuff on my own too after this. So, Okay, so first is tell a compelling story. Is second using figures of speech? Absolutely. Particularly repetition, irony, and metaphor. Repetition, irony, and metaphor. Great. And then third is trigger one of the three activating emotions. Yes, absolutely. You got it. And so what uh, I've got to ask before we move on to four and five, the, what are the three activating emotions? 
So when people have studied um, what headlines, what videos um, go viral online, it's clear that some, again, you want to stimulate emotions, but some emotions cause people to share and some not so much. So the three activating emotions, you could remember the three A's are awe, anger, and anxiety. Um, you know, when you think of anger, you can sort of think of outrage. You know, we if, if something outrages us, we're, you know, we want to share that with everybody. You know, look, can you believe this thing happened? Um, on the other hand, if something amazes us, we also want to share that. Oh, look, a cat can play the piano, you know, or here's this you know, 50-something-age woman in Britain who who can sing. You know, you may remember that video. So, you know, what awes us or amazes us. And then, you know, we share things that might make us a little anxious, like, you know, here's uh, a food that isn't so healthy for you, you know, or here are three things you should be doing if you want to live to be long, you know, long age. So the point is, um, you want to try to figure out how to hit those emotions. And there is another, you know, I don't, it's not so much an emotion, but humor, obviously, the, the triggering effect of humor is also something that causes us to want to share things. And is that because we want to have that similar effect on other people? So we want to share it because, hey, we want them to think it's funny too or to basically feel what we feel? Yes, we're trying to get people to feel what we feel, um, but we also want to show people that we're plugged in, that we, we, we know the latest, hottest thing that's going on, right? And therefore, you know, um, if we can share something they haven't seen, then that's like, hey, we're in the know. We're in the, it's like you said with the, I was listening to one of your shows about the in-group and the out group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to be on the in group, right? You're one of the cool kids. That's right. right. So That's you right. saw this first. You saw this first. You, you know, and and look, that matters. That's social currency. We all need it. We all want to be seen as someone who's like ahead of the curve, cutting edge, cool, knows what's going on, and not someone who shares the same thing you've seen 10 times already. Gotcha. So it's not just that we want people to feel what we feel, but people that are sharing things online, because obviously to go viral, you have to share it. They want to be part of what they were, what they're conceiving in their own head, what they're perceiving as part of that in-group. Like, hey, I'm going to be somebody that is interested or involved or focused, or I know what's going on. And by sharing this, I become part of that bigger in-group. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, like, as you say, we're, we are number one, uh, and always will be the most social of animals. Um, and, uh, we're constantly trying to, to show we're in the in group and, and that our, you know, we want our friends, uh, to bring up, to bring our friends along. So, okay. So what we, what we talked about is all coming together for me. So we're talking about the use of stories, right? Have a compelling story, use different types of speech like repetition and metaphor and irony and, and humor and things like that so that they're memorable. 
then we want to trigger one of these three activating emotions, awe, anger, anxiety, that sort of thing, to get people uh, to kind of feel what we feel or to be part of that in-group. Then number four would be be memorable, right? We're, we're trying to grab attention. We're trying to keep attention. Keep attention. Okay. See, so you, and this is where we, you know, the, you know, the expression is go viral. And that comes from the idea that a virus can, under some circumstances, spread like a contagion. So, but the thing about what makes a virus spread is not only how contagious it is, but how long uh, a person is a, is a carrier. If, if, if someone can only spread the disease for like an hour um, versus a week, then obviously, you know, the, the thing is much more likely to go, you know, to become a viral epidemic. And the same with anything online. If I, for instance, want people to remember my book, How to Go Viral, I have to repeat it a few times because someone listening may not go out and buy it right away. They might, uh, it might be two days later and they're thinking, oh, I heard this guy talk and it was really interesting. And what was it about? And something, oh, viral. I remember that word. And then I go to Amazon and I type in the word viral. And since I am selling it on Amazon, I can advertise, I can buy keywords on Amazon, in, you know, in so that the sponsored content will show up when you type that word in. So you're trying to make it, uh, you know, like a, like a virus. You want it to be, or you want people to kind of be carriers for a longer amount of time because it'll spread farther, it'll spread wider, and the longer everybody has it, the more viral it goes. Right, and again, that's why you want to tell a good story, because people think in story terms, and we love nothing more than to share, you know, this heartwarming story of the the kids, the you know, the boys who were rescued in Thailand. Right. Right? I mean, you know, that's a feel-good story. That's a classic, but it's also like, oh, amazing, because there was a time when we weren't sure they were going to make it. So, you know, that's the thing. The kind, these are the, the archetypal stories, absolutely, uh, are, are, are uh, uh, the easiest thing for people to remember. Okay, well, and I want to hit that, that idea of story, because I know you have some tricks for us about telling stories, but yeah. I want to cover this last one first and then go right back to story. And the last one was testing your messages to find out which ones work and which ones don't. And you talked about getting good feedback and rapid feedback. How do we actually do that? How do we know if what we're doing works or, or doesn't work? Well, you know, I'm fortunate on my website because we, we do a real-time headline testing. So when I write a story, and a lot of uh, websites do this, when I write a story, I work with the social media people on a, a couple of alternative headlines. And when you come to the site, um, you're shown one of the three or four headlines, and we monitor in real time what the click-through rate is and what percentage of people who do click on a given headline, how whether they stay for 15 seconds or more. So we monitor whether the headline is clicky, uh, and whether it's sticky. And then at the end of 15 minutes or 30 minutes, one of them is often a clear winner, and that's the one we go with. And we don't even put anything on Facebook. We don't put our posts on our Facebook page 
until we have tested the headline and make sure we have a headline that is going to grab people. And um, you can do, I mean, on Facebook, of course, if you're, um, if you're selling a product, you can, or a book or anything, you can do, you know, A-B testing on, on Facebook. Uh, you can do micro-targeting of ads. Um, you know, you can target, you know, 18 to 30-year-olds in Tallahassee, Florida, who enjoy sailing, you know. And so anyone who's not taking advantage of the opportunity to figure out which of their messages are working or not is really playing with one arm tied behind their back these days. Yeah, because I know that when I write stuff, um, I basically think I come up with a clever headline and that's it. I put it out there and I don't even touch it again. I don't know if it works or it doesn't work or anything like that. So how long... How long do you test these headlines for? Um, we will until we have a clear winner. Until we have a clear winner. Uh, sometimes, by the way, a post is so good that uh, a headline is so good that it will blow away the competition within minutes. I gotcha. So, so you're actually while you're watching it full time, you're watching it real time. You're able to tell, hey, which ones are people? Which ones draw people in? And which ones not only draw them in, but keep them in going back to this, this theory or this idea of being clicky and sticky of being not only interesting and not only stirring up some of those emotions, all anger, anxiety, but also being memorable and having that, that viral consistency where somebody can be a carrier for, for some period of time. Absolutely. And I, you know, actually start the chapter on headline testing um, in the um, in the book with some quotes from David Ogilvy, the, the marketing legend who sometimes called the father or grandfather of marketing. And he said, uh, uh, back in 1963, on the average, five times as many people read the headline as read the body copy. A change of headline can make a difference of 10 to 1 in sales. And so I never write fewer than 16 headlines for a single advertisement. Now, in his day, in order to do headline testing, you had to spend millions of dollars, right? Because you had to take different ads out in a newspaper or on radio. But he understood that you changing a few words in a headline can make the difference between whether a lot of people read it or whether people just tune out. And today, of course, you've got a million more choices than you did back in the 60s, right? Every single person knows that with their cell phone and and the internet, uh, let alone their TV set, you've got a hundred things you could be doing that are really interesting. So I don't have any time to grab you. I, I have to grab you in the first few words of the headline or I'm simply going to lose you. And that seems really interesting to me because I know you've listened to a couple of the episodes and it's what we all, and my son even, he's only seven and a half, but he listened to a few and he even makes fun of me because I always say that people are social storytelling animals. And as social storytelling animals, what what I say all the time is, hey, we haven't evolved that much. We haven't changed that much since before all of this technology and before we had ways to communicate globally in in microseconds. But that's why I really love talking to you because it seems like you get that we're not an evolved species, 
but our technology has evolved. So some of these tips to me sound like it's a way to to basically get into that that primitive brain, right? The the thing that drives all human beings, but being able to do it in a way that still leverages technology. Yeah, I mean, before there was writing, you know, uh, there were tens of thousands of years of human evolution where we evolved language. So, so we were talking, you know, during the evolutionary time of our brains, and that's why, you know, many in, – in the book, I tell a lot of stories, you know, uh, obviously. But I also, you know, give a little bit of the social science and brain and neurological science – so the, the evidence is that our brains are wired for story, and I and and we like to hear stories. We think in story terms, and um, and yes. So when we're telling stories, we are communicating with people at a much deeper level than 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 with charts or numbers or facts. And I there's this quote which I which I love, uh, which is from uh, Dan Kahneman, who. Uh, he won the 2002 Nobel Prize in economics for his work on behavioral economics. He was the guy who figured out, I mean, not that it wasn't obvious, but Kahneman, who wrote the book Thinking Fast and Slow, he's the guy who basically said people aren't rational, and here is the way that their minds actually work and the biases that they have. Anyway, he said no one ever made a decision because of a number. They need a story. Um, and as a physicist, it, you know, it took me two decades uh, to really unlearn all this stuff I learned getting the Ph.D. to really understand how to communicate with people uh, online and when I give talks, because the same thing applies when I'm giving a talk. Yeah, and I think – and I've talked about that book before, Thinking Fast and Slow and System 1 and System 2 Thinking and – it comes up periodically with different guests on the show. I think uh, a couple of weeks ago we even talked about, or maybe it's even uh, today's episode where it comes up about AI and about technology, yeah. about the fact that, hey, these machines, machine learning and software and all that is great at that system too, slower thinking. But the people, people are absolutely necessary because we're good at that system one, emotionally driven quick thinking that we use to make decisions. And that's where decision-making happens. And that's why I love that quote you just said, that no one ever made a decision because of a number. They need a story. So the fact that we need, as human beings, we need a story. Can we go into your simple trick and what you can provide to us as the audience listening to you, a simple trick for telling viral stories that Hollywood uses? Yes, yeah, so this is a trick that was uh, used by Hollywood screenwriters and viral superstars like Oprah. It's called the and but therefore trick. It's also called the rule of replacing. And here's boiled down to its essence. The rule of replacing is simply replacing the word and in your speech or writing with the word but or equivalent like yet wherever possible to introduce the kind of conflict and narrative tension we expect in our best story. And you also replace and with therefore or equivalents like the word so to introduce the resolution of that conflict and tension. Because fundamentally, the st we don't watch stories in which someone says this and this happened and this happened and this happened. We to see the conflict and the resolution 
because, of course, we have conflict in our own lives and we listen to stories to help us figure out what to do in different situations where there's conflict, right? I mean, when there's no conflict, anybody can figure out what to do. It's when there's a problem, how do we solve it? And it's the same if I'm making a sale to you. If I'm making a sale to you, I have to be able to persuade you that whatever problem you have, I can solve. And so I'm going to tell a story of, you know, I used to have that problem and then I studied or went through this experience and suddenly I learned how to solve that problem. So this, I know this seems very simple and that it's hard to believe it could be so powerful, but literally almost every viral speech in history makes use of this structure and these specific works, words and and in my book, How to Go Viral and Reach Millions, I literally go through some of the most famous speeches uh, in the English language to show that this is what the speaker did. Uh, and I start with the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is arguably the most viral speech in all of human history because billions of people have read it in the Bible and you know billions of others have heard it in a church or uh, any other you know, uh, a type of setting like that. And if you look at the amount, it is, uh, got 98 ands. It's got 29 and it has, uh, 13 therefores. Uh, and as you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is explaining, here's what you heard in the scripture, but remember, this is also true. So now we think this, or so now I'm teaching this and it's, it's, uh, and you can see it in uh, the Gettysburg Address. You can see it in Shakespeare's To Be and Not To Be speech. Uh, if you remember that speech by Oprah earlier this year at the Golden Globes that went viral, she uses it. Um, so I just, uh, it's, it's the single thing that when people read the book, they say, this changed how I write and how I speak. Okay, so let me – because you cut out just for a second there, so let me just cover that again. So in the Sermon on the Mount, what you what you found was that there was 98 ands, 29 buts, and 13 therefores. Is that correct? Yeah. And yes. so that falls right in line with what you're saying is, hey, replace and with the word but or yet to introduce conflict, to introduce this narrative tension, and then – use therefore to introduce the resolution because i think a lot of people have heard about storytelling about act one act two act three where you kind of lead into it where you have the conflict and you have the resolution but it's yeah. almost like you're saying hey yeah that works for movies and it works for books but it also works for communicating virally and in in smaller ways that you can actually use this for a lot of our even day-to-day -day communication or even even tweeting, where we're limited to the number of characters we can use, does it still work? Absolutely. And in fact, it is. And, and, you know, over time, you don't necessarily have to use those specific words, but you still the nice thing about it for people uh, who are just getting into this. And, and most of us really weren't taught storytelling in school um, is yes, you could do this in tweets if you start doing it in tweets, Facebook posts, um, uh, you know, Instagram, and also your public speeches. Whether you're giving a two-minute, hey, you stand up in a meeting, you want to get people's attention. You know, I start with the area of agreement. 
hey, we agree on this, but you know, I don't think we fully considered this, so I'm thinking we should do or consider this. Uh, you will find that it works uh, in any setting, and when people have analyzed speeches like uh, Lincoln in the Lincoln-Douglas debates, he uses them. He used them a lot, and and yes, literally um, any setting. Um, and I think it is hard to believe. That's why I say you know read chapter two and how to go viral because in the context of seeing you know how Shakespeare used it, um, how Lincoln used it. Uh, how Martin Luther King used it, uh, it just drives it home at how powerful this is. Okay, so what I'm gathering is that there's not only we – we not only have to realize that people are social, people are emotional, people make decisions based on emotion, people need story to hit them in that emotion so that they can make those decisions and that they use story to understand and make sense of what's going on around them to make decisions – but there's also this almost scientifically proven, data-driven way that stories actually work. Absolutely, and and I think you know, and I think that um, you know the the real essence of what we're trying to do here is, is how do we uh, uh, you know, as you said. The, the system one thinking, the mental shortcuts the brain developed because it use, uh, the brain requires a, uh, literally like 25% of the body's entire metabolism goes towards powering the brain. So over the many thousands of years of evolution, we developed these shortcuts for figuring out how to make a decision quickly in an unknown situation, you know, like uh, um, tigers running at us or more commonly, you hear a noise in the distance. So what are the shortcuts? Well, everybody's running in that direction. So maybe I don't have to wait to figure out what the noise is. I should just join them running, you know. But another shortcut is, have I heard a story of what someone did or did? Better not do that. Like, I saw this creature with the white, you know, black creature with the white stripe, and I got near it, and it sprayed on me. Or it sprayed on my friend, and he told me what a disaster that was. Don't do that again. Or that mushroom, it makes you sick. Or that snake, you better avoid. So the point is, all of, you know, 100,000 years of evolving our language was filled with learning these stories and telling other people's stories so that we would be able to act quickly in situations of danger where there's not a lot of time to do the long and analysis, that noise, it sounds, oh, it's a very big noise. Maybe it's an elephant. You know, don't have time for that if you want to survive and thrive and make it into the next generation. And that goes right in line with a lot of things we talk about here on the Crucial Talks podcast. It's all about the fact that, hey, we are social storytelling animals. And I tell people all the time the reason we're not in the middle of the food chain where we should be because we're really fragile. The reason we're kind of at the top is because we can use stories not only to learn from each other, but we get to fabricate reality with each other. We get to construct the reality that we want for each other. Does that still – hold water with you that it does it still make sense in that same way that not only do we get to learn from it but we can actually build our futures from these stories right absolutely and that is you know the other we have over species uh, you know every other species is we can imagine the future and we can play out 
you know, stories in our head. If I do this, what might happen? If I do this, what might happen? So it's our ability to do that. And of course, our ability to share that with other people, which again, animals can't do, that just gives us this amazing uh, uh, cultural knowledge base. Um, now, of course, um, th- we also make mistakes because of that, right? I mean, because sometimes the story you're telling yourself, it's the wrong story. It's, it's an untrue story. It's a, it's a superstition, right? Like the old wives' tales, you, you, you know, we get very, very like the, the ball players all have these superstitions. They, they started their, their hitting streak on the day that they wore these pants, so they're going to keep wearing those pants, right? And that's just a superstition. Sometimes things happen one after another because of random chance and learn exactly which things caused other things and which things were just happenstance. So obviously humans walk around with a lot of you know myths and stories in our heads that aren't necessarily true, but like some friend of ours told us this or that. So... Um, you know, then that's the whole point. Any sh- anytime you're short circuiting the full reasoning ability for some rapid uh, judgment based on a story, uh, that works when the story is accurate. Doesn't work so well if if you're running around with with some untrue story or you've been deceived by somebody, right? A con man, let's say, has their own story or someone has false advertising. So you know, you that's the other reason to to be aware of how your brain works. Well, yeah, and I think what you just said about, hey, take, for example, a baseball player that he's on a hitting streak, so he wears the same pants or the same cleats or the same glove or or goes through some ritual before he goes up to hit. But what that tells me is that, yeah, it may be a superstition or it may be a myth, but it still shows the power of story, even the stories we tell ourselves. Oh, absolutely. The stories become our truth. And, you know, look, we have a million different religions in the world, right? And and some of them share similar origins, others don't. But, you know, and it's the same with our politics, that they become our tribal identity. And that's very good for intertribal relations, but, but obviously many of the great wars <laughs> – Throughout history, maybe all of them were fought between two people, two groups that had very different stories that they were 100 percent certain of. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the listeners, because we talk about this in-group, out-group relationship and how if you if you even project that somebody is an out-group, it kind of leads you toward certain behaviors. and It almost gives the person the authority in their own mind to treat that person a certain way because of how they see them and the group that they see they belong to. So this idea of tribal identity and that the stories we tell each other and tell ourselves can lead to these things. I think that is just a kind of a fascinating spin to everything you're talking about. Well, yeah. And there's a quote I have, you know, I have a gazillion quotes in my book um, uh, because I came across so many that literally every chapter in how to go viral starts with three quotes at the top. Um, one of my quotes is from this, uh, this Native American who talked about his, the, native, the power of story in healing. Uh, and he said, 
The telling and retelling of stories is the powerful means by which cultures of families and communities are formed and maintained, national identities are preserved, and moral values are instilled. Stories can inspire, uplift, and transform their listeners, but they can also belittle, humiliate, and drive their listeners to despair. So obviously there are stories of love and unity, and then there are you know stories of hate and 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 prejudice and disunity. And um, so yes, uh, it has always been the case that language could be used for good purposes and bad purposes like any other human tool. Well, and that's where I think it's fascinating because one of the things you talk about is the fact that, hey, whoever is interested in how to go viral and whoever is interested in how to do better tweets or how to have better posts online is great. But you all say that or you've been it's been said about you that whoever loves language should also pay attention to some of the things you're writing, some of the things you're putting out there. And you alluded to it before, and I'd like to touch on language really quick. What kind of language should we be using to go viral? Uh, I mean, a lot of people use big words because it makes them think like, hey, people are going to think I'm smarter. But in reality, what language should we actually use to convey our message? Well, you know, one of the chapters in the book, uh, uh, you know, is called, you know, uh, short words win. Um, the, the fact is that that the, the shorter words tend to be more ancient and, and embedded in a culture. And you, you will find that uh, contrary, you know, big words may make us seem intelligent, uh, you know, we think to our friends and all. But uh, honestly, for the vast majority of people, um, the simpler word is the better. And I and I talk about in the book, I talk about Hemingway, you know. And Hemingway, he wrote the book that won him the Nobel Prize was the uh, in literature was The Old Man and the Sea, and that book is written at a fourth grade level. Um, and you know, and Churchill was, by the way, the same way. Uh, Churchill made the same exact point that people think it's big words, but in fact, all the great speeches in the English language use short words. Whether it's you know, judge not that ye be not judged or to be or not to be, or I have a dream, you know, we will fight them on the beaches, all of it. So, yes, I think there are a lot of myths uh, that come out of our higher education system as to how an effective and persuasive communicator talks. And, and, and in the book, um, again, How to Go Viral and Reach Millions, I try to just go through and talk about what we know from the social science literature, what we know from quantitative uh, analysis of what goes viral online, and some of which is just, you know, uh, what some of the great speakers and communicators of all time uh, said about their craft. Well, and so it still sounds like a lot of this goes back to that belief and that, well, even the data that shows that we haven't evolved that much. So the fact that we haven't evolved that much, but our technology has – our technology has come so far. There's so many things we can do, be doing. We, we obviously can't really multitask, even though we think we can, but there's so much noise out there. So if there's all this noise out there and we're trying to stand out either to get sales or to get a new job or to make an impact or to change behavior, 
if we want to stand out, we got to somehow get through the noise. So how do we, how do we as people that are trying to get our message out there, how do we get heard with so much noise out there? Well, ultimately we want to have a brand. So, uh, you know, so people know, oh, they see in case my name, Joe Rome, this is what I'm going to get. And therefore, you know, I know I'm going to get an interesting story and I'm going to get some explanations, some reasons of why. Um, for people who are not well known, who don't have their brand yet, um, you know, we're going to have to go to the very basics, which is we're going to have to figure out what, you know, when I do a branding exercise with someone, I usually ask them, you know, so what is the thing that makes you special? Why should someone listen to you or pay attention to you? You know, what is your super power? And then what's your superhero origin story? How did you go from being regular person to person who is expert on this or has special knowledge that people should listen to? And, and ultimately, um, if you want to, to consistently go viral, you are going to have to consistently use the tricks in the book, but also create a virality of your own brand, you know, so that you become Stephen King, right? I mean, like when if someone says, you know, I have this great new book from Stephen King, you know, exactly. It's a quality book and, you know, it might scare you. Right. But if I if you heard I have a, you know, a great new book from John Smith, like, I don't know this person. Why should I, you know, read what they're saying? So the point is, you need to just as you want to go viral online, you want to go viral in life and 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 have all of your communications support one consistent brand, because fundamentally, as you say, people uh, are way too busy. They have too many choices. And if you're going to stand out from a crowd, the thing that is about you that's special, you can't claim to be an expert on every subject, right? No one's going to pay attention to you. said, oh, I know everything about everything. So, you know, as, as, as my, I have a coach, a great life coach named Adam Gillad. I talk about in the book, he's a, uh, Emmy winning screenwriter and he's he's just worked uh, a great life coach but he says the riches are in the niches it's a great rhyming phrase that I love but the point is you, you can't sell everything to everybody pick the thing where you're a standout and then you need to focus creating a brand creating a story and in all your communications have to somehow support that brand and that story well, and I think that's great advice for everybody because a lot of the people that listen to this podcast listen to it because it gives them this idea about human beings, about how we behave, why we do what we do, and none of it has come back to really being rational or being data-driven. It always comes back to being emotionally driven. And so what we've talked about today seems to go right in line with that. And what I've gathered from talking to you, and I'm really thankful I got it. Uh, opportunity to talk with you on the podcast because what I've gathered from you today is, hey, look, we've still got this ancient brain and this ancient brain is focused in a way that it has learned over hundred thousands of years that storytelling is how it learns and storytelling is how it survives and storytelling is how it figures out who is with it and who is against it and storytelling is how it transitions and becomes better as, as a, a person and that emotions drive those stories, they make them stick, they make them memorable. And that because short words are also 
kind of the more ancient words, the ones that are more embedded in the culture, those short words actually make things stick out more. And that in order for us to be heard above all this noise, we can follow those principles you laid out and follow the storytelling the storytelling plan that you gave us and have your brand so that people know what they get when they see it. Go back to the basics, telling a story, telling a story about yourself, about what you can do for people. And that's how you can kind of go viral. And by viral, we basically mean that's how you stick. And that's how you become somebody that people can go to to gain value in their own lives. Is that kind of a good summary of, of what we've talked about today? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, ultimately, um, our personal character is the story we tell ourselves. I would never do that or he or she would never do that. Right. So we construct stories about ourselves. And obviously, we need to uh, we want people to know that we're consistent and we're trustworthy aside from our special abilities. Um, so, yes, we're, we're, we're talking about how do we create, how do we figure out our story and how do we best tell our story so people remember it? Wow, that's awesome. And I think that's a great way to wrap up this interview. You basically have said, hey, look, stories, you can not only go viral with other people, but you kind of go viral with yourself because, and I love how you said, how you said it, that our personal character is a story we tell ourselves. Because one of the things we talk about on the podcast all the time is how self-categorizing ourselves and adopting those behaviors for those roles is all about storytelling. And those stories we tell ourselves is how we develop these new behaviors when we want to transition to something better or become a better person or whatever it is. But those stories also work for groups like our teams. But those stories also drive the cultures in our communities and in our businesses and all across industries. That's how we as people get things done and why we're so successful. So this has just been an awesome interview. Uh, I can only thank you so much, Joseph, for being on it because you've had a lot of good information for us. It spans everything we talk about on the podcast because it's all about understanding what drives people. And we really appreciate you giving us your insight on social media and communication. I think it was valuable for everybody. So if people want more value from you, how do they grab your book or get a hold of you? What's the best way for them to contact you and what can you offer them uh, when they do that? Well, you know, I always say first read the book because there's a lot. I, I just skim the surface of, of what's in the book. You can go to Amazon uh, and search for how to go viral or any similar type keywords. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about me and see what some people have said about the book and there's a way of contacting me, you can go to my website, which is actually rhetoric.com. So um, you can contact me through through rhetoric.com. But I would definitely urge people to 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 read the book. Um, you know, for some amount of people, it is absolutely going to change your life, change the way you communicate and you will notice. And again, it's the same as I'm going on a date. How do I persuade someone? I They remember me. I stick out from the crowd. They want to go on a second date. Same with a job interview. It's always the same thing. How do I get their attention and how do I stick in their memory? Well, thanks a lot. And so that website, and I'll put it in the show notes, is rhetoric.com. The name of the book is 
How to Go Viral and Reach Millions. It's by Joseph Rom, R-O-M-M, available on Amazon and I believe probably any other uh, bookseller. You guys can't miss it. It's blue, got some yellow writing on it, has a laptop, a tablet, phone, uh, megaphone on the cover. You can't miss it. And I think we just barely touched the surface on the value you can get from that book. Again, Joseph, thank you so much. Um, do you have any parting words for us before we wrap up the episode? Well, you know, look, uh, if you if you read the book uh, yourself, uh, happy to come back some sometime. You, there are some things in it we we couldn't get to. You know, I, I if people like the book as a marketer, I have to say, please, you know, give me positive feedback on Amazon because you want to sell books on Amazon. You need as many positive reviews as possible. That's just the way things go viral on Amazon. Well, definitely, and I think we all appreciate everything you said, and like I tell people and has been told to me, books like this and people like you, being able to meet you and talk with you and then see the insights you provide is just a way to get more value out there. I mean, because ultimately in the communities we're in today, the world we're in today with all of the things that are out there creating noise – I think the tools that you've given us today and the insight you've given us can only help our help our world, really, because we need some of these voices to to come out of the noise. We need to hear those good messages if we want to come back together as a country, if we want to progress as a society, if we want the world to get better. It's all about communication. It's all about language. It's all about how we interact with each other. So uh, for me and I'm sure everybody listening, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast and definitely um we love to to have you back on it's been an awesome conversation so thanks again well thank you mike okay so i thought that was a really good conversation with joe i got a lot out of it hope you did too hope you got something out of all the tips and techniques he gave us but i really hope you also got to see like i did that it fits with everything else we talk about on the crucial talks podcast so if you have a chance i'd love for you to visit my website www.crucialtalks.com and connect with me via email, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. And if you need anything from me or would like me to speak at your organization, please reach out to me. I really enjoy the conversations we all get to have. Also, if you could do me one favor and share the podcast, leave a review, and rate it, I would greatly appreciate it. All of that stuff makes a big difference deal to iTunes, and I really want to get the message out there and all of these great conversations we get to have. Have a great week, and remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.